0: Everyone, this is Frank Riker. And this is Darren Sands. And this is the Slaughtered Lamb Podcast. And today we're gonna to be discussing 1986's The Fly. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me.
1: Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over.
0: Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it.
1: They say they are.
0: Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit.
1: Even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown and reformation is inherently purging.
0: Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears.
1: Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong.
0: You are about to go beyond that limit.
1: Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very
0: nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh no! A fly got into the transmitter pipe with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. it could be contagious.
1: Uh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> So Darren, when was the first time you saw this movie and did you ever see the original? I saw this remake before I saw the original and I remember watching Barry Norman's film night who was a BBC journalist and he was talking about The Fly and as with all remakes or modern movies he just disliked them intensely. There was also a 30 minute short on TV in the UK about the making of it and my mum was obsessed with seeing it. So I had to wait until the, um, the VHS release, but I settled down one night with my mom and we both watched it and absolutely loved it. It's a movie that just gets straight on with things. There's no fucking about. It's 90 minutes long and it jumps in straight away. How about yourself? I saw this in the theater uh, with my mom once again.
0: You're know, you going to, you to hear that uh, throughout these uh, podcasts. Uh, my mom took me to the theater all the time, me and my brother. And uh, I don't remember too much of it back in 86. Again, I was five. All I remember is, you know, Jeff Goldblum turning into a human fly really at the end, never recognizing any of the themes with it. I didn't see the original till maybe about 15 years later, but this was a movie that has grown on me. And I do recognize that I think this, in my opinion, this made David Cronenberg's career. It actually set him off into his own genre, which people are referring to him as, you know, you are going Cronenberg to some people who say that. Um, I think this is the movie that did it. And I think this is the style uh, that people are trying to strive through when they say you've gone Cronenberg.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Just to say as well that your parents were seriously trying to corrupt you at a young age. (laughs) (laughs) So they took you to see RoboCop, they took you to see The Fly all around the age of 5. Yeah, I I, I didn't have any pubes when I saw all of these movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you came out you, you would sell these movies at the right time, at the the peak of peak of testosterone. You know, me, I I I'm, I'm barely, you know, de- doing finger paints. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I think, you know, it was because my dad never took me to go see any movies. He was always either too busy or just wanted the wife and kids out. So what's the best thing to do with a bunch of kids is take them to the theater. Take them to the movies. Yeah, and she took me to, I believe she took me to movies that she would enjoy plus I would enjoy. And then realizing that they were all big mistakes and something that kids should never see <laughs> at such an early age. But maybe that's why I'm so well adjusted because I, I, I'm used to this thing the use of these movies now
1: yeah i mean that's 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 one cultural difference that, that i'm starting to learn between the, the us and the uk is obviously the rating system's different and so you know, it would never be a thing that, that a five-year-old would go and see a um r-rated movie in the uk they just couldn't get in you had to be over over 17 years old uh, 18 years old sorry so it, regardless of whether you were with a parent or guardian so you know you just we just had to wait until VHS or sneak in the exit to see our, um, our, our weekly dose of, of uh, sex and violence. I just, you know, looking into this movie today, and, and I was listening to David Cronenberg talk about it and how he came across the project. It came to him uh, via Mel Brooks, who was the, who was the producer, the, the production company was Brooks Films. And at the time he was working on, and I didn't know this at all, he was working on Total Recall yes. with Dino De Laurentiis. And now, I don't know what happened to that. I've no idea. We're going to look at Total Recall in a few weeks, and, and, and perhaps we'll get to the bottom of that then. But um, yeah, he was given this uh, script by Mel Brooks, initially liked it, but had some issues with it, and took it away and 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 you know had people work on it and that. But the main thing there, the takeaway from that is, I would have loved to have seen a Cronenberg version of Total Recall. Could you just I'll imagine... <laughs>
0: <laughs> you never think Mel Brooks would get into a movie like this. And, I, and along, just like Flash Gordon, I think this movie had a messy start. I think people didn't want to make it. They did want to make it. And I think the one pioneer for this was um, Stuart Cornfeld. He was dead set on trying to make this. And he approached Mel Brooks. And Mel was just like, no, nah, I don't want to make a, a horror movie with we'll Fly Again. And he has a fly head. You know, it's just, it's just something ridiculous about that. But then, you know, Stewart said, no, it's, he's not going to change it. Till he's going to metamorphosize into the fly. And I think that's what piqued Mel Brooks. And he says, all right, but you have to get the right people involved. And unfortunately, uh, the original director, I think his name is Robert Berman. He was attached to direct, but Unfortunately, he had a family tragedy uh, involving his daughter and some farm equipment, which, you know, it's too graphic to go into. Oh. Then they, they wanted to make the movie. They were, they were going to hold his slot to be director but of course he wasn't in the mental state to do it he of course I mean it's just it's, it's, it's tragedy so then David Cronenberg had that falling out uh, with how like you said how it happened I have no idea uh, and he went on to do the fly and I think
1: uh, we were all better for it you mentioned there you know about getting the right people involved and, and I don't think you could have chose anyone better to, to, to play Seth Brundle than Jeff Goldblum you know, that Perfect mix, uh, mix of nerdiness, intelligence, physicality. You know, he has it all. He looks terrific in this film. And, you know, he, he goes from being quite a, you know, quite a, a laid-back, aloof-type guy to becoming this monster. And you can almost see it sort of frame by frame taking shape. He did a great job. And, and, and it was also interesting as well that they they managed to cast his, at the time, girlfriend, Gina Davis, to play Veronica.
0: It, it, it's funny that you you mentioned those two because I believe nobody wanted Jeff on one hand, and the other side didn't want Gina. It was it was quite of an issue. Didn't think they fit the part. Certainly, uh, Chris Wallace, I think the the uh, special effects uh, makeup artist on this, who won the Academy Award, rightly so, said that Jeff's face was too much of a problem for makeup. <laughs> that nobody believed that Gina could play the part. I don't know if they were looking for somebody different, just the it looks, but she is quite charming in this movie.
1: She is. I think it it was interesting that Cronenberg said that the one thing that that attracted him to to bringing her on the project was the fact that they were an item, but he said it was kind of like a double-edged sword because Goldblum has this kind of really sort of charming and infectious way of, of speaking. He said that she'd picked up a lot of his mannerisms. And so when they were doing takes, Jeff would say something and Gina would respond almost like in Jeff speak. And he had to kind of keep pulling her away and say, no, no, do it as Gina. Don't do it as Jeff. <laughs> and I guess that's the, the, the problem with that kind of, um, you know, when you live with somebody, you do kind of tend to mimic them in some ways. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me sorry i have three other interviews to do before this party's over yeah but they're not
0: working on something that'll change the world as we know it they say they are yeah but they're lying i'm not now, with the first opening scene, you know, where, where uh, Seth Brundle is uh, being, I guess, not interviewed by Ronnie, played by Gina Davis. He's telling her what he's working on. She's working for a magazine called Particle, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's just about- just just the name of the magazine, right? Particle Magazine. <laughs> You know, it goes up there with, like, splitting the Atom news.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> like a like a like uh, like some sort of, I don't know, Time magazine for yeah. geeks or something. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and
0: her editor, uh, I think he, he pronounced his name as Stratus. Stratus? Stathus. Stathus, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, uh, he's her former boyfriend slash lover who still has the hots for now he sent her out to do you know find some new some new blood you know find some new information on what scientists are doing uh, I still can't believe this is a heavily circulated magazine <laughs> um, but still Seth Brundle's automatically attracted to her I think it's because he does admit later on actually the beginning of the movie that he's lonely he spends too much time working so he lures her back into his apartment and uh you know shows what he's working on which are these two pods these two teleportation pods
1: now do you think that he intentionally tells her knowing that she's a journalist or doesn't realize she's a journalist
0: i just don't think he knows how to talk to people i think he was just, just attracted think he's really to her yeah I think socially he
1: just, awkward yeah yes. physically attracted to her sees
0: you know That She's a beautiful woman. Um, She's interested in science because she's there at some kind of mixer and wants her to come back. She's asking the right questions. Yeah, I think it's just because he's just a lonely man. Now, what did you think of his first test that he showed Gina Davis with his... Actually, it wouldn't be his first test. I want to say his first live test with the baboon. Oh,
1: the baboon.
0: Oh, I I thought you were going to
1: mention the, the stocking. All right, let's do Is this. The stock- a very sort of yeah. let's do the stocking first because yeah. the first the first demonstration he gave he gives um, Veronica of the telepo- teleportation pods. Um, he asks her for an item of clothing and she takes one of her stockings off which, uh, you know, is a nice shot um, and um, he puts the stocking in the teleportation machine and she just thinks it's, initially she thinks it's some sort of trick. Um, but then he reveals there's another pod, they go over there, pull the stocking out and she's kind of wowed by this. She's more interested in this guy now and she can see her Pulitzer Award, I think. And yeah he's, he's got these huge pods that are doing the teleportation and the, po- the pods are really interesting actually. They they look. Really ahead of their time, and still don't look out of place now. I think they're pretty cool looking, and, and apparently they're based on on a, a, a Ducati cylinder head from a from a motorbike. It, it, very industrial. Yeah. Initially, they were like glass shower cubicles, apparently, and Cronenberg just said, "Well, this, they just look shit." Um, and so he, he apparently, being a bit of a bike fan, he got the set designer to um, take these these motorbike um, drawings away or, or pictures. And said, "Look, I want it sort of. I want some sort of industrial look, you know, based on on this." And they came back with these uh, uh, these pods that are actually based on a cylinder head.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're Now there, there is two of them. One is a receiver. One's a you know an acceptor or, or you know a transponder, yeah. what have you. Um, but yeah, the the the, the stalking scene is very sensual. Uh, it gets it gets the term it gets the the scene really going, I think just piques his interest a little more into Gina. Uh, But when it works and she wants to find, and and she's going to tell Particle Magazine, he kind of loses it a little bit. It's like, no, you can't really tell anybody this. You know, uh, I have backers, you know, I I program it, but I have other people building uh, this. Other people are gonna be affected if you say anything. Uh, But then she leaves and he meets up with her again at her place of business. In front of her ex-boyfriend.
1: Yeah. yeah. But when he loses it, he's still very sort of mild-mannered and genteel about the whole thing, isn't he? Yeah. He's not, he doesn't kind of start, he, he doesn't go into any sort of rage or anything. He's still incredibly calm and and and, and doesn't seem too bothered about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe I should really uh, re-say that. He's he's more, like, nervous. Yeah. He's, he's not going to slap her. <laughs> <And> say, <laughs> How dare you? Give me that Not tape, at this point of the movie. No, I'm going I'm to give it to me now, or you're going to come out in one of those transponders as a, a clothed uh, micro-recorder uh, uh, type being. Yeah, as a baboon. <laughs> Speaking of baboons,
1: <laughs> what do you think of that baboon scene? The baboon scene is... is um... I mean, again, another great Chris Wallace effect when Brundle decides to teleport a baboon. He somehow hasn't got the, uh, whatever the science behind it is right, and the baboon just comes out as mush, (laughs) but still moving and screaming. It's a great moment when it kind of punches the glass door right by his face when he's trying to peer in, and that's a great jump scare. Uh, And then we get to see this kind of Chris Wallace sort of animatronic effect of all this kind of Shredded meat and goo.
0: (laughs) They actually said on the commentary it's basically turned inside out. We'll we'll get to it later, but um, Chris may rec. People may know Chris from certain movies like uh, Enemy Mine. Uh, he did. He was a consultant for E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, so he has... Gremlins
1: as well. Gremlins.
0: He created the actual
1: Gremlin. Perhaps you know, he knows Buddy Kupfer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just
0: want to let you know, your son will die. Don't watch the TV. Uh, <laughs> and your wife will faint. But it, I think... At that point, Gina is falling in love with him. She's never met anybody like him. Somebody who's so one way thinking. And of course, we know he's one way thinking because Gina opens up his closet one day and sees the same suits. This way, he doesn't spend any more time thinking thinking of what to wear, he could focus on his project.
1: And I, and I was quite taken by his computers as well, because it's 1986, and we've kind of moved on a little bit from the uh, from Connell Cochran's computers in, uh, in Halloween lights 3. Be- yeah, there's no blinking <laughs> lights or anything like that. It, it, it's very simple and straightforward, and, and, and looks pleasing on the eye, does the operating system. It just tells you what you need to know. You remember
0: them days where you could just ask the computer anything, and it would tell you what would happen?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, you know, it's, 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 we get to the point where I think he figures out what he's, how he's able to fix the problem of
1: the inside out baboon by cooking a steak. He does. He, he, he does the next test on a steak, doesn't he? Uh, cuts it in half. After a in...
0: with, with Gina Davis.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a little bit of slap and tickle. I forgot about that bit. Um, but yeah, he 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 um he tries the next experiment on a steak. Um, we don't actually see it, but we get what he's going to do. Uh, and the next the next scene, he's he's been successful, and he's frying it in a pan after it's been uh, and it tastes like shit. Could use a little bit of uh, a one sauce, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's
0: it's tastes like shit and that's because he discovered that I have to tell the pods how to put something with flesh Now that's a recurring theme flesh back together not what it thinks it should be and that's the that's the issue so he goes working on
1: that hopefully the next experiment with the baboons brother would go more successful Jeff Goldblum apparently was really good at wrangling it because he was in such tip-top shape. He he was able to handle the baboon a lot better than the wrangler could, and so the baboon saw him as like the alpha male on the set. And so all well, that shirt off, you know. The baboon looked up to to Goldblum and and uh he was able to 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 act with it really well on 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 set. But but also back to his physique as well and and the strength that he has. Cronenberg was saying that that um, Jeff Goldblum was constantly working out on set, ready for his his nude scenes. And he said, because of that, he said, I would join in with him as well. And he said, it's the only movie I've made where I've actually been in shape at the end of it. He said, usually I put on 20 pounds when I'm making a movie because of all the craft services and all that kind of stuff on the set. He said, but I just felt the need to, cause he was so uh, uh, so drawn to Jeff Goldblum he said he just loved training with him, and so yeah, he said he's been—he was the healthiest he'd ever been after making that movie.
0: You're right by saying he he wanted to look good in front of the camera. Now I think he was in his early 30s when this was yeah, being probably, made, yeah. you know. And, and plus, you know, he didn't need any practice being in bed with Gina. They had plenty of practice with that. But uh, you know, he's always uh, the first time we see them actually in bed. He's behind her, and that's that whole thing through Cronenberg is most of his love scenes is the man is behind the woman most of the time any reason for that I don't know good camera angle <laughs> <laughs> both look at me now smile <laughs> I can't post you yeah but it's it seems to be a, a a theme it's just you know it's always a man behind a woman I have no idea it's, it, may, it could be something as a form of dominance I, I have no idea but I've noticed that in some of his movies. Yeah, it's just true.
1: I wonder how they felt about that though, doing those scenes. Whether it, whether it came easy to them or whether they were conscious about it because they were a couple. I would think it'd be easy, but yeah,
0: it's so you want to be intimate. You don't want everyone watching it. It's probably a different feeling, you know. I want to be private, but I want my. I know I can do this a lot better because I know this person with me. But it has to be. It's it's got to be though. If um, having a rendezvous with a stranger where you don't have to think about anything versus somebody you're actually married to or you actually love. And you're kind of like, I don't want to seem like a creep. You know, we have a different form way of showing intimacy. I'm sure they did it fine. It looks like they did it fine. (laughs) (laughs) But we get to the point where he's ready to send the baboon's brother, uh, little Mikey we'll call him. He uh, sends him through and it works. It, it, It finally works. Well, Veronica's happy, Ronnie's happy. Uh, Jeff is happy you know and uh, they got to do something different it's gotta, there's got to be a, another test in order to make sure that this is working properly.
1: Stathis is a little bit a little bit awkward about the fact that she's now kind of spending more time with with Seth and his mood's changing he's becoming very awkward towards her you know he's obviously very jealous Particle magazine are, 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 are posting pictures of Jeff Goldblum on the front of their magazine, called, you know, almost like he's Particle Magazine Man of the Month or something. Uh, and and she's she's getting pissed off because he's kind of now taking her story about this scientist and his teleportation. And so there's this real kind of awkwardness. And and this is the sort of you know the first signs of the this movie being about a love triangle between three of these people but lucky for veronica um stathis's obsession with her ends up being one of her saving graces i guess uh, as the, as the movie goes on he he
0: is definitely so obsessed with her he follows her to you know the garment store and gets on his hands and knees and and, and starts out crying to her and everything it, it's he's absolutely obsessed you're absolutely right by that I mean it's it, its almost to the point where it's criminal
1: you know what, that, what was the what was the line that he says to her about his car, or something <laughs> it's like
0: you've never had a complaint before or something like that uh, you know but he gets to the point where he's just like you know all right I want you to stay. I just don't want to lose you. So I'll stop the article. I'll do whatever you say. So just please be in my life. He absolutely, I think he does love her. Um, But then he gets to the point where he says, "What about sex?" (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, just just plain old, you know, uh, stress relieving sex. (laughs) And she's like, "You're a pig." And he, I think he kind of like that, you know, that she was acknowledging him. Uh, you know, he's, like, you're right, he is definitely her saving grace. Sometimes somebody with that obsession with with you will actually look out for your well-being, just to make sure you're, you know, just to make sure you're okay, no matter how, how creepy that is, though. It's like that person who follows you from work, I always make
1: sure you get home okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the line is, and she's referring to her, um, her you know her kind of investigative reporting with um with with Seth Brundle, she's saying i'm finally on to something big to which stathis replies what his cock <laughs> <laughs>
0: he says that angrily <laughs> <laughs> Almost, almost like uh, George C. Scott would say it, you know? <laughs> He's sweating and everything, you know? People are looking at him in the department store like, who's this fucking
1: guy, you know? And, Do you not think he has a look of John Krasinski? Yes. I was watching it all the way through and I was thinking, Jesus, you look so much like Krasinski does now. You can never trust a man with a beard. No, 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 exactly. Because they're too Stathis, creepy. Stathis was ahead of his time.
0: Yes, he was He was the Harvey Weinstein uh, before Harvey was even a name, <laughs> you know, it should have the movie Nine to Five should have been made uh, as with him as the boss.
1: So we finally get to the stage where as Seth decides that he has to um, try this on himself, mm-hmm. the teleportation, and he's he's is sat chatting to his baboon, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's 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 wondering. He's, he's trying to get the transponder to work, but yet he's. Also wondering why uh, Veronica, you know, a.k.a. Ronnie, is going back to her old boyfriend. I think that's to the point where he just says, you know, I got to try this. I got to get my mind off of it. I think the bad is just looking around like, ah, I don't care what you do. But yeah, he does try it out on himself. Now, it's funny because apparently you have to go in those transponders nude and sit like a, like a Greek god in it. <laughs> uh, like the thinker. Yeah, like the thinker, absolutely. <laughs> you would think he would try to say, you know, you know, I have a shirt, I have a t-shirt and jeans on, put that in there as well. But you'd probably come out looking all blue and white, you know, or maybe stiff
1: with some stotch guard. But yeah, he goes in, but he's not alone, is he? Well, that's it, because before that, he's chatting to his baboon, and the baboon's distracted by a fly, which... Cronenberg said they actually caught a fly and put it on a fishing rod um, and just kind of kept dangling in front of the baboon. Uh, so the baboon's swiping at it. Uh, and they finally got it to land on the baboon's head where he sort of freaks out a little bit. And then you kind of forget about it. Seth gets into the teleportation pod and uh, just as the door shuts, we get a close-up. And the fly has made it into the teleportation pod, just as it's about to start. And this scene was, you know, obviously we all know what the result of this is going to be. But I love the fact that you get the baboon looking through (laughs) to see what's happened at the end, to see if it's complete. And, um, And Seth walks out and everything seems to have gone well. For the time being, it, it appears so. I think. Did you get the feeling that Seth felt something? I got the feeling that the baboon felt something. That the baboon suspects that something's not right. The way that he's looking in, it, it's. I don't know. It's just odd the way the baboon's kind of checking things out. It's as if he realized that the fly was in there or something.
0: Yeah, it, you know. It. Of course, in the uh, 1958, I believe it was 1958. That's right. The, yeah, the, the way the fly was done, it was that the, the fly and the scientists melded together where the scientists had the fly hand and the fly head. That's right. And the fly had a human arm and a human head. That's right. We don't get that in this part. We don't get It's basically, you know, with the Jeff Wilbom Seth got his DNA mixed in with fly DNA. Now, we don't know anything about that fly. Did he have human DNA? I mean, does he grow eyebrows and toes? I mean, the, the fly just goes. And, you know, then we, we start to witness
1: now Seth's changes. Yeah, the fly becomes part of him. And the way I see it is that the, the, the fly, because of the short lifespan of the fly, the fly starts to speed up his aging process until eventually the fly... Until, and you get this point, you come to this point where as Jeff's dying and the fly's growing until the paths cross and the fly comes out of him. We could tell he's changed uh, because his reflexes are a little bit more quicker and his strength is a little bit more higher. Well, the first thing that you notice is that his speech becomes really—he's talking faster and a lot more sort of confident—and he's got a craving for sugar as well. He's eating a lot. Of, I mean, there's a scene in the in a cafe where he's with Gina Davis and he's he's just putting sugar after sugar into his coffee, and she's also realizing that it's almost like he's. On cocaine or something. He's just—he's quite manic. Yeah. Um, he, he does it, but he's focused. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I was going to say, but he does have a short temper. But also, he's—he's he's, um, his physique has improved as well. So you know, we're seeing a, a change in his body. We're also seeing him doing all sorts of um, crazy gymnastics in his uh, in his apartment. And listening to Cronenberg talk about that, they had a gymnast that came in. It's actually. 5 foot 8 Jeff Goldblum 6 foot 5 but those sequences are kind of seamless Jeff Goldblum does a lot of the early stuff in the in the in those gymnast scenes and then they cut away and cut back to the actual gymnast who's got a similar kind of body and although not as tall yeah she's really impressed by his uh, by his dexterity <laughs> turned on if you will
0: <laughs> throughout that whole changing process of him you know changing into this monster that we're going to see his appetites are increasing his appetites for food his appetites for human interaction his his appetites uh, for flesh as he's talking about throughout the whole movie because uh, that's all it's been about is it's is about flesh And that's what the transponders wanted it was how do I re- how do I rebuild flesh you tell me because I don't know how to do it and and of course he's increasing in his sex all that energy is all for sex because Gita gets tired at one point, she does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this is where she we, she first starts to notice that something's not quite right. I mean, she's noticed that he's kind of he's slightly manic in his um, in his speech and his behaviour. But physically, she notices that he has these hairs growing out of his back, which always kind of creeped me out as a kid. It, it, even now, they just look they just look horrible. These kind of bristles or something that are growing yeah. out, of his, out of his shoulder.
0: Yeah, she said they were very coarse. Now, they were from a, uh, you know, there was a microchip that was lodged in his back at one point. Mm. Yeah, she was cutting him with the scissors, and you could almost hear them being cut. It was almost like yeah. trying to cut rope. Why? Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine his pubes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you need a jigsaw just to cut them <laughs> I'm trying not to. <laughs>
0: We knew something was was wrong because uh, she must have known something was wrong because his face was breaking out.
1: Yeah, the sores start to appear on his face, uh, and and he's yeah he's starting to kind of really starting to physically change in good and bad ways. What about the bar scene? If he's not going to get because because Gina's so tired of fooling around, you know he needs to go out
0: and find someone to fool around with. Uh, he feels so good at this point. You know, he feels amazing. That scene where he's arm wrestling the guy in order to take his girlfriend home, and you when you hear that snap of that wrist, I think a lot of people
1: in the theater turn their head. Nice. That's horrible. Another great Chris Wallace effect. <laughs> they um, the guy cries like a girl. He's like he eh, does as well. <laughs> as, it was interesting again hearing Cronenberg talk about that. He said that, the, that even with Jeff Goldblum being in the tip-top physical condition that he was in, there was no way on earth he could have beaten an arm wrestling match with that guy. And they, they built a prosthetic arm based on a mould of, of, of the, the actor's own arm. And Cronenberg said, no word of a lie, he said that arm was as big as my thigh. He said the guy was huge. And yeah, the, the, I heard he was a boxer. he yeah, was, an, he yeah. was a, a pro boxer
0: at one time. You, you hear the snap? <laughs> oh, it's it's horrible. <laughs> and and Jeff just puts his his hand up like, I won. Did not even get the guy's hand down? You know, but he's it looks like there's uh, there's stuff leaking from his fingers because he's squeezing. Maybe the yeah. sweat. Out of him or the guy, it's,
1: it's just he just secretes fly juice, doesn't he? When he, when he's arm wrestling
0: him, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I shake some hands in my profession where they're 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 pretty sweaty, you know. But I mean, good Christ, you know, if you look around, there's a pool of something in there.
1: You just yeah, yeah. He he actually does. Cronenberg actually does call it fly juice. Sounds and delicious. it looks. It, yeah, it looks suspiciously like something else as well but yeah another great scene and a terrific effect that still holds up today practical in fact every sequence in this movie was practically done no digital effects whatsoever way before the uh, the, the digital effects era and um, yeah he, he breaks the guy's arm as a proper compound fracture and immediately leaves with the hooker and takes her back to his apartment.
0: Now, Darren, why do you think that is? Why do you think is that when we see people explode or just like, oh, that's hilarious. But when someone's bones are coming out of their skin or we hear a snapping or a crunch, we all just cringe. We all just look away. and We're like, oh, we can't take that. But someone on fire and all that stuff, uh, that doesn't bother us. I mean, as a society, I think it's just do you think it's the sound? Th-
1: that they add to it? I don't know what it is. It happened to my wife years ago. She was a gymnast, and she um, she had have plates in her arm. I don't know. It's something that we're not used to seeing completely. We we watch things burn all the time, but we don't watch bones come out of people all the time. And I think no. it's not supposed to happen at all. Yeah, we don't. We don't. People exploding—that's just a funny comic <laughs> relief.
0: <laughs> people getting hit by cars—we're just like, ah, I'll walk it off. Like, yeah, you know, a, a finger snapping—we're just like, oh, oh. God.
1: <laughs> There's a line in, um, I think it's one of the Naked Gun films where he talks about torturing someone, and he's and and the line for a comedy still makes me cringe to this day when he talks about first we'll start with nasal hair, <laughs> and then move on to fingernails, and I just think, oh God. <laughs> Where's my hundred? And I get to take the lady home for the night if I win.
0: Says who? Do I look like a hooker to you? Hey, Tani, it's an easy hundred. Come on, pal, let's get it over with. Hey, watch out. Each chunk of bars. Yeah, so I noticed. Chad. <laughs> hey, When the hooker comes to his place he basically lifts her up because she's tired of walking and runs with her up to up the steps to his place now that's all jeff jeff did that all himself then there's that famous tagline for the poster and for this movie that gina says to the hooker be afraid be very afraid which is credited to be from mel brooks that was actually what he wanted them
1: to say I think he said it to Cronenberg and Cronenberg was um, was like I need that line can I use what you just said and he went yeah exactly that's what I want you to do
0: how about a nice
1: alcohol rub don't do that it hurts sorry hon I didn't know you had the skin of a princess you're real sensitive huh
0: Okay, okay that's it
1: you're
0: going to like it. I don't want to. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid.
1: No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. But it is it's a great line and it's it's one of these lines that's kind of, you know, a little bit like the 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 Silver Shamrock theme. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you know it. People use that line be afraid, be very afraid in pop culture all the time. And yeah, I mean it's 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 one of the most memorable Taglines of the '80s for sure. We're uh, we're now seeing Seth
0: is really deteriorating. He likes to bite his nails when he's nervous, and he finds out, and all of his fingernails are falling
1: off, and juice yeah, he's is ta- coming out of it. Yeah, he said <laughs> fly juice starts coming out. He's he's got to the stage now, whereas he started to twitch and decay, and 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 getting a really kind of messy state. And I think there's there's a scene where Gina Davis comes to see him. And uh, he sort of hobbles out with uh, on crutches, as you know, this aging process is kind of starting to, to to speed up, and and the fly instincts within him are starting to to come out a little bit more. You see him sort of twitching, and his eating habits, as we said earlier, are starting to change, and. He starts to scratch his head at one point, doesn't he? And his fucking ear drops off on the table. <laughs> and
0: he's, he's nervous. You know, he, he thinks he's dying. Yeah, the, the ear falls off, you know. And, uh, you know, which I think this at this part, when I, I remember this specifically when I saw this in their theater, people were more disgusted when his ear fell off and she goes to hug him this, on the same side the ear fell off. Everyone in the theater was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> Ew!
1: <laughs> He's checking out the fly juice. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> let me have a sniff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he had, it, It's then revealed that you know that she's uh, that she's actually pregnant, and we get this kind of horrible dream sequence, whereas she's going into labour. Actually, the guy who's delivering the baby is is David Cronenberg. And interestingly, she insisted that that it was him that did it. He said, look, I'm not an actor. He said, I knew that because my face was covered, if I did a bad performance, I could get someone to, you know, uh, dub over me. He said, but Gina Davis, because of that kind of, you know, because of the position that she was in, she felt more comfortable with somebody that she knew and trusted delivering the baby, as it were. Which turns out to be a giant maggot.
0: It's it's a larvae.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's disgusting.
0: It wiggles and everything. It yeah. makes noise. You
1: know, it, it's it,
0: it's 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 not a dream. It's a nightmare. It's <laughs> <That's> horrible. <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's a sign of things to come. You know, she mm. has it's like premonition. You know, so she has to, She wants to go back and tell Seth that she is pregnant. But every time she goes back, he's getting worse. And worse, he's turning less human, he's, he's becoming less of the person he was and turning into something that no one knows what he's supposed to be until she sees him on the
1: ceiling. And they kind of built one of these um, sort of gimbal houses that rotates um, so that, that you could see him walking on the ceiling and then down the wall um, without any change in camera angle. Um, So it was a kind of rotating house where the camera stays completely static, so you can't tell that things are moving. It's an interesting scene. Yeah, you can see that the the, the metamorphosis has taken place more, and he's now starting to... I think his clothes are off now, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And he's got this kind of full bodysuit on, um, which when they were auditioning for actors, a lot of actors were put off by the... um, by the, the makeup process that was going to be involved in this film, I think at its peak the makeup took around about five hours a day to, to apply. So that would mean if they, you know, if they were starting early morning seven eight a.m. for shooting, that the Goldblum had to be ready to be doing his makeup at two or three in the morning, which is uh, that's going to take its toll. Yeah, there was. Uh, I heard there was like two layers of makeup. He had a
0: he had a bodysuit underneath the makeup, and he had to be sweating. But the makeup was fantastic. As he's progressing, there's more bits and pieces falling off of him. He doesn't need teeth. He says, "I don't need teeth because uh, you know, I when I chew, you know, because he's not actually referring to himself anymore as Seth. He's calling himself Brundlefly because uh, he recognizes he's not a person anymore." Uh, and he found out that when he chews and swallows, it hurts. So there's demonstrations in how he eats. is by throwing up on something with enzymes, melting it, and sucking back up. His ears fall off. Uh, I think there's a uh, you know his teeth. You know, as as you see, because he's biting on the pencil, trying to figure out at the transponder computer how to make himself better, how to fix himself. Um, he calls his body parts relics into the Brundle Fly uh, Seth Brundle
1: Museum. Yeah, he's got this kind of... This sort of personal museum of, of all his body parts that have uh, dropped off.
0: Especially the one body part that a, a man loves the most.
1: Yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> the one body part you don't want to drop off is in a jar in his bathroom cabinet.
0: <laughs> now, if I lose mine, that's where the first place I'm going to look is my medicine cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he he doesn't need that. He basically his body is rejecting the well, the fly is the fly's body and DNA is rejecting everything he doesn't need anymore. Yeah, that, I didn't when I when he opened up that cabinet as a kid, I didn't know what was going on until later on. Somebody said, yeah, his penis is in that cabinet. Did you notice?" I'm like, no, I had to go back. I'm like, holy
1: shit, there's his. You know, it's there. It's there's there. his it, tally whacker it's, <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's his um, the camera doesn't focus in on it it's kind of in the background it's a sort of blink and you'll miss it moment I think yeah. in, is it in the foreground is it his ear or something like that it's, he has a couple fingers a f- yeah yeah you know. and, and, and so the camera sort of pans a little bit to the right and, and if you blink you'll miss it but it's there the cock's in a jar If anyone wants to go
0: back and, uh, you know, while having some lunch and take a look. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't look too healthy. You know, Ronnie sees what he's becoming. You know, he wants to, she wants to tell him so bad, but he's actually says to her, I'm turning more into an insect because I think I'm going to hurt you because insects have no compassion. You can't reason with them. They do just one thing and that's basically survive and kill. And she
1: is scared to death, and just wants this thing out of her. They go for an abortion, don't they? Which um, I think Stathis leaves her for the night, and all of a sudden, Brundle fly, uh, and another great jump shot moment. Jumps through the um, the hospital window and begs her not to not to get rid of the baby.
0: You want to kill Brundle? The baby might be. All that's left of the real me.
1: Please don't kill me. I can't have it. I'm afraid. Please. Have the baby. I can't. I can't. Too bad.
0: It's then I think what he says, and I'm paraphrasing, is the "Why would you kill the last thing of me when I was human?" You know, which which is really gut wrenching. You know, it's the last of me that I have. You know, and she says I can't. You know, and he's he's physically upset. You could see it, he's crying, um, but he has other plans for her if she's not going to listen to him. And he takes it, doesn't he? Yeah, he disappears. I don't know. Does he? Does he run? Does he fly? <laughs> uh, I mean, he gets back to his place pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. But he has super strength. Mm-hmm. You know that. Uh, so, yeah, he uh, takes her back. And his plan now is to, I guess, put them all into one pod together. And I think he wants to become human, just become one person. Of course, she's against, dead set against the whole thing. You know,
1: but who's coming to her rescue? John, John Krasinski. <laughs> John Krasinski, yeah. <laughs> her obsessed lover. Stathis, Stathis comes to her rescue. He he squares up to uh, to Brundlefly, who Brundlefly jumps from the ceiling and lands on Stathis, who knocks him to the floor, and Stathis pulls out a gun, a, a huge, it's beautiful gun. I don't, double, I don't know what kind like of a, gun it is. It, yeah, yeah, a
0: double barrel shotgun.
1: And um, he he's about to shoot Brundlefly, and, and Brundlefly just swipes his arm and pushes the, uh, the, the, the gun out of the way and grabs his arm and vomits on it <laughs> the acids from the vomit melt his arm in a kind of scene that's sort of reminiscent of Ronald Lacey's face melting in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark that's why Chris Wallace uh, I guess took
0: that from yeah he I worked on so. it yeah, yeah yeah he did
1: it and you know
0: but why stop at an arm
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> you can go for a foot. That looks painful. That yeah. that looks uh, horrific Is that.
0: You know, I guess through the pain of having your 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 hand, arm and and your foot melted off, you pass out from the pain, you know, and uh now he can throw Ronnie into the uh pod and but she tries to stop him and grabs a little bit more off of him.
1: <laughs> you know, and uh,
0: his jaw falls off. Ripped off. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's yeah, and it, it, and the jaw's still flapping away on the floor as if it's trying to talk. With well, uh, right? yeah, his tongue there, right? Yeah, yeah, part of that.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and that that um, that prosthetic there when the jaw comes off reminds me of the of the zombie at the start of um, I think he's called Doctor Tongue in Day of the Dead. The one that walks up to the camera with the tongue hanging down and everything—it kind of looks very similar yeah, to it that. Just, it
0: just flaps. You know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we see his, his his rest of his body's coming off, and now he's actually the fly,
1: or as far as the fly is going to get. Yeah, I, mean, I don't.
0: <laughs> it would be funny if he just turned miniature at that point, <laughs> but no. Uh, she gets thrown in. He hits the transponder codes to, you know, go in himself. And they're going to merge together in the transponder pod three that he built. Or got delivered, or somehow, was yeah. Is there. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't explain how it got there. He's Guess who's not down for the count? Stathis is back. Shoots the pod, uh, you know, wires going to it. He Stayed. disconnects it, doesn't he? Yeah, he disconnects yeah. it. And uh, Brundlefly is pissed. Tries to bake break through the glass which he does. Gets the door open, but unfortunately the pod switches, you know, turns on, and he comes out the other end, part machine,
1: part fly. Still alive without you. Barely. 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 Yeah, he's kind of merged into the machine and that and, and you've got a, a mixture of of grills and cables and fly and goldblum and it's just a complete mess. And he's unable to walk. He can just drag himself out. The eyes are very interesting. Uh, they modeled the eyes on Jeff Goldblum's eyes. Use the same shade and everything as, as as got this kind of sort of greeny color. But yeah, there are there are parts of it that look like a fly, but the rest of it just looks like a, 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 a like something out of society. It's, it's like Play-Doh. But the
0: eyes, you could—it's almost like the eyes have a soul in there.
1: Yeah, I mean the one thing I would say I mean two people that you've got to give kudos to here are, are um, Howard Shaw for his score the score during this sequence is I think it's, it's emotionally draining it's fantastic it really does hammer home what a tragic story this this is and I love a really dark ending because although what's happened to, to Seth Brundle you know he, he has some quite horrible moments in it he's he's not a bad guy he, he becomes this thing via accident by, by accident and the whole thing is just to me is just like a tragic love story and howard shaw's music in that final sequence really sort of emphasizes that and i don't think i've heard such a moving piece of music in a final sequence since and you have to cast your mind back the, f- the lightsaber duel in Return of the Jedi where Darth Vader dies that kind of score there to me is very reminiscent of the score in The Fly in those final moments with with music
0: as you know the way the melody goes the way the sound goes if it's very soft and, and very low it's supposed to make you feel relaxed there's none of that in The Fly, it's always these amping up you, you know yeah yeah hard chords and 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 high notes it's supposed to still get you energized and and still you know have this impending doom
1: uh, sure yeah still approaching and and the dp as well mark irwin the way that he shoots around uh these prosthetics his camera work allows you to believe that these are Living breathing creatures that we're looking at, you know, he's he's got. I mean, he started with Cronenberg with, with, with the likes of Brood and Scanners. I think he did Scream as well and and um Robert Cop Two, but yeah, well, he'd probably like, like to scrub that off his resume. <laughs> it's better than three, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think I think that it's an incredibly moving finale to the film and. The only way out of this for him now is for, for, for Gina to help him end it all. He still has some human in there.
0: I think he was always human. I yeah. believe he was always human. And the way he wants to end it is that G- Gina has to shoot him. And he pulls that shotgun barrel to his head. And it, it, that's the one thing that, about humanity that you know a fly wouldn't do, any other animal do, is self-sacrifice itself. You know when the chips are down. And these are some big chips <laughs> that were down, uh, but yeah, uh, we would certainly sacrifice ourselves for our family, our kids, throw ourselves in danger for something like that. But I think he's wants to end it as a person making that choice. Yeah, and uh, and his
1: head goes off. He goes out with a bang and a really high frame rate explosion. It's, just, it's a Another gooey mess and it and you know similar similar work to um I guess scanners where Michael Lionside's head pops, but yeah no uh, and, and that's it and this is what you know what I like about this film is that as I said at the start, it just gets on with the story straight away. there's no fat in this film at all, straight in and straight out. the movie ends, it just fades to black, and it's over and there's only basically
0: five settings majority of it being at, you know, Brundle's apartment. And I think next would probably be, uh, you know, the offices of Particle magazine. Then you have the street scene where they're walking through, you know, he's buying her gifts. The bar and the doctor's office. Yeah. That's it. It's, It's very, it reminded me almost of 12 Angry Men where they're just being shot right in one room. And that's all. It's being you know. That's where all the story, majority of the story, is being taken place.
1: Sure, sure. And we have to get it in there for Dave McRae that it's uh, all shot in. Um, I think it was Toronto, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a yeah. uh... good Canadian director, good Canadian city. All you know, Canadian movie, great. What is your fondest memories of The Fly? I think again, it takes me back to a time where I lived at home in the early days of VHS and 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 just discovering it as a... How old would I have been? A 13-year-old kid at the time. Not being able to see it at the cinemas, but, you know, sitting down with my mum and watching it. You know, she loves a good horror film, and uh, I remember watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time with her. Um, but, yeah, um, I think... I'd, I'd left it a long time before I watched it again. I always liked it. It's interesting that my nephew got in touch with me recently and said you know he's he's kind of like 25 or something and he said how have i not seen this film before i've just watched it and this was literally a few weeks ago he said it's absolutely fantastic um and i think he's right i think it really holds up well it it you know there's it's, it's it's really well shot directed the performances are great the makeup as you said earlier is oscar winning and um it's a neat little package, 90 minutes, that's it, in and out. For me,
0: the thing that I'll have an unlasting impression is I remember my dad renting it because he never saw it in the theater uh, and just laughing through it. <laughs> he, he would see, you know, uh, you know, the the fly juice come out of his fingers, crack up, and... Uh, you know, I think that was the best part of watching that movie, so that I get to watch it with my dad, a man who had no time to see anything with his kids because he was working so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he did. I did, sat down. Even though I did see it, but we always watched movies again when they came out on VHS if we saw them in the theater. Uh, and I think that was that was the best thing for me was actually sitting down and watching it with my dad and watching him giggle at it. Uh, just because he, he liked the movie so much, but he knew how far-fetched it was. You yeah, know, yeah. He certainly wouldn't laugh at a war movie or anything like that. You know <laughs> but <it> was, uh, <laughs> He recognized that it was a good film and I think it made people when they saw the movie to go back 30 years, almost 30 years to go watch the original, which I love the original. I thought the original was a good was a good movie.
1: Yeah, I think I, I saw the original. Um, probably, I don't know, maybe ten years after. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, the original was true. I haven't seen any of the sequels at all. I've seen The Fly Two, the Eric Stoltz version, mm-hmm. which was okay. You know, it's not bad. It's, it's not, bad. not bad. I can't remember now. Is The Fly Two? Is it Gina Davis's son? Yes, it, it is. is. Yep, but she's not in it, is she? No, is it's Stathis a, in it. Yes, they go Stathis to him.
0: Yeah, where Eric Stoltz finds his father's videotapes, yeah, you know. That's but, uh, right. Yeah, I, I just can't handle the. I mean, I have it with the collection. I just can't handle the animal cruelty part of it. Yes. And yeah. It's, it's a little.
1: It's a little too much. It's a bit on the nose, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you know. And uh,
1: isn't there a dog or something? I, I it's to a Rottweiler. Know. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. his
0: It was his friend growing up. They use it as a guinea pig, you know, and uh, he sees him years later, you know, and winds up euthanizing him. Yeah. Because he's in such horrific pain. Yeah. And uh, then when he turns into the fly, which is something huge, like something like really weird looking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: another dog comes up to him and he pets him, you know, because he still has that humanity part of him. And then he winds up, uh, you know, fusing with his... His stepfather, yeah, you know, and, and covered in this poltergeist jelly where she, where his girlfriend pulls it, pulls it off, and revive, and it's revealed that he's underneath there. Why, stepfather's all you know, the freaks, you know, coming out, yeah, sucking
1: yeah. on oatmeal. I always remember that line when she comes in and tells him it's getting worse, and he just goes, It's getting better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: You know, the, the Fly too is not bad. You know, it's it's it's. You'll watch it once, uh, but it's not like the remake of The Fly. It's I think AFI ranked it out of 186 of the most scariest movies of all time, and rightly so. I think it's it is it is scary to the point how far hum- humans will go in order to maybe prove a point. Or into it for an experiment, and I guess we just don't care what happens, uh, and that's probably what is most terrifying,
1: even to experiment on ourselves. Just, just back to the to the movie and the way it ends. Were you happy with the way that it ended? Um, it, because it is kind of you know it it resolves itself. I don't think you need to see Stathis and Gina Davis hugging each other or any sort of coda whatsoever. I. Th- I learned today that they did actually try to shoot a coda for the movie. Um, maybe her giving uh, the, the baby being born or what she's doing now. But to be honest, I think the movie's so emotionally draining that the way that it ends, for me, is just perfect. I didn't need anything else at all.
0: I agree 100%. It's reminiscent of American Werewolf in London, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah, that's a good comparison. Just
0: end it. David was dead. Seth yeah. Brundle is dead. There's yeah. nothing left. Are, you're not going to have them. You're not going to have a next scene of Ronnie and Stathis getting married, you know, and her going to labor right there at the reception, and a butterfly comes out, which was supposed to be the deleted ending, which was I, supposed to be. A, I she's heard supposed it. to give her, She's supposed to give birth to a butterfly. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> She has this uh, on the on the DVD on the Blu-ray. They have the deleted scenes. One of the deleted scenes, besides the ending, was Seth was trying to figure out how to make everything work again. He took a baboon, the 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 good baboon, and a cat, and tried to put them together somehow. He put them together, but you know it was two front ends of one ass, and. <laughs> <laughs> and attacked, you know, Seth. The baboon's crying. The cat scratched him, uh, you know, and he winds up killing it, of course. Um, but the alternate ending was Gina having a nightmare, but it was really a dream where the baby inside her grows into a butterfly and flies out of her. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and Croteberg was just like, no. It's we're not having this, you know. All you get to need is a, is a sequel of some pixie flying around, you know, granting kids on how to fly and take them to Never Neverland. That's what we're gonna have after that, you know. But yeah, could you imagine a you know a, a baby coming, a
1: baby coming out with butterfly wings? <laughs> the, movie, the movie the movies a classic that would have just that would have taken that title away from it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would have been. You got to that point. I could see you all, we're
0: all in the theater, we're just like, oh my god, that was such a good movie. Oh wait, there's a scene, there's a fucking butterfly, a kid, you know, sucking on nectar and pollen. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) You you know, it's just, I hate it when movies end with a what if, or maybe this could happen, or maybe this should happen. And second guessing the audience, no,
1: nope. it's like the, putting a bow on it, and it doesn't yeah.
0: need a bow on it at all. No. It's just the, the the bow is someone's getting his fucking head blown off. You know, yeah, that's that's the exactly. Bow. It's the end. We're done. Okay, we know she's pregnant. We're done. There could be a sequel because she is pregnant. Whatever, but you don't think about the baby when he's getting his head blown off. You know, and it ends. That's it. I think it was the perfect ending, just like when we said with American Werewolf, just end it. And you know what? The nightmare is over. Basically, done. And that's it. And we got a that's great it. movie that still holds up. Like uh, you know, like you said with your nephew, it still holds up even. Oh my god! Nineteen eighty, like thirty four years. You know, it we it. It's a it's a great movie, and it's uh, you know I think people still continue to watch it. That's it. That's it. The fly is what? very simple. There's not too much there. So, so next week, Darren, we're going to be. Talking about a classic Total Recall starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, another Verhoeven film. Yeah, it should be fun. Well, anyway, everybody, thank you for listening to us. And as always, stick to the roads. And the best of
1: luck.